everyone, good morning. How are you doing this morning? It's a vest day, isn't it? I was wearing a vest earlier and one of my kids said, are you trying to dress like Dan? If you're new here, Dan is uh, another part of our lead team of pastors, and, and uh, I as well. We come together and we lead this church as a team. We really feel like leadership and church, uh, like community and life, is better together. So if you're new around Heartland, we're glad to have you around here. Good to meet you. My name is Brad, and I love that Britain is encouraging us to take a step out into the lobby because we really believe that our best lives are when we lock arms with one another. Our best experience of Jesus is when we lock arms together. And you'll find so many of those communities out there. One of them, I want to celebrate uh, one of our communities that's focused on a cause actually in our community is our harvesters community with about 40 or 50 people who one Saturday a month give up that Saturday to distribute food just to load up people's cars. We have a few hundred cars from Kansas City who come through and we just get to load up their trunks with food. And yesterday we had a family who had never been through uh, before who was receiving some food. And our team, our Heartland team of volunteers found out that this family was on fumes in their gas tank. And uh, they collected some money just off their own, just kind of pulling some money out of their pockets and gave this family $140 to go fill up their gas tank a couple times, right? And so just kudos to Heartland for being a generous church who always wants to show the love of Jesus, uh, even in the most practical of ways to the people in our city. So thank you. Let me just thank you guys. Thank you, Harvesters, for doing that. For reflecting Jesus. That's what we're, what we're about. We're all about who Jesus is. If you haven't caught on by the way that we're singing, praying this morning and talking. So um, I have this recurring dream that uh, there's something really, really cool in my house that I didn't realize was there. Anyone else have this dream? Just me. Okay, cool. Uh, it's not creepy. It's something really cool. It's like a power tool that I always wish that I had had that I realized in my dream I actually do have. I just had to look for it. It was just right there underneath like my workbench. Um, I have, or like the, uh, the ice maker from Sonic that you know, we all secretly wish had in our house. Sometimes in my dream, I realize I actually have that. It's been sitting underneath my counter the whole time. I just had to look for it and use it. The best version of this dream is that there's a door in our house that we never realized was there. And it's not like a secret hidden door that you have to look around for. It's a regular old door. Uh, looks like any other door in your house. And some reason it passed the inspection. No one looked behind it. We've been living in our house for years. No one realized this door was there. And then one day I open up the door and there's like a whole wing to our house that we never even knew existed. It's awesome. Sometimes it like leads to this rooftop pool that we didn't know that we had. Like wouldn't that be amazing to have like your own personal Great Wolf Lodge attached to your house and you just found out one day? And so the theme of these dreams are just that I've been going around my life, going about my life with something really cool, really useful that's right underneath my nose that had the potential to add incredible value to my life, but I didn't realize it was there. And really, this isn't a dream. This is a reality that we all have things in our lives that are right underneath our noses that have the power to add value to our lives if we would just see them and use them. It might be, I know it's January, and a lot of us are trying to kick the habit of exercise or health, and we're trying to kickstart that habit. So it might be the exercise bike that's been covered in clothes that could change your health if you would just use it, right? There might be like a, a savings bond that you received as a kid from a relative or a grandparent, and you forgot that it was stuck in a folder or a lockbox or something, and if you would just go cash it, it might actually help out your finances a little bit. That there are things that we have in our lives that are right underneath our noses, 
We just need to see them. For us, uh, uh, my wife and I just discovered, uh, after living in our house for a year and a half, we didn't find a secret door anywhere, but we did realize that the Indian Creek Trail actually passes like just a block away from our house. Who knew? <laughs> and if you know the Indian Creek Trail, you realize this is a really cool thing that like Kansas City boasts of, that we've been on, being able to walk and ride bikes, and that we've really been able to enjoy. We just didn't know it was there. We all have things right underneath our noses that are incredibly useful. If only we would use them. And so in this series of Kick the Habit, we've been talking about habits that invite God's presence and ignite his power into our life. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want more of God's presence and more of his power? And so each of these habits that we've been talking about are with things that are right underneath our noses, like the habit of gathering in these worship services, that these happen every single week, that they're right there on the video, that it's right here in this building, and all we have to do is, is gather here in them. Or prayer, that this is time that we already have. These are words that we're going to use on something. We're just saying, let's use those words in prayer and conversation with God. Even last week, we talked about the habit of stewardship, which is essentially just a habit of how we manage the resources, the things that we already have in our life, like our time and our money. So today, we're going to look at something else that we don't have to look far for, but it can add incredible power to our life. And we couldn't go through this series without talking about this thing because it's so pivotal, and it's this thing right here. It's the Bible. And I don't think I need to convince you, if you're wondering, this Bible's been through some life. It's being held together by duct tape, and there's been a lot of life lived through this Bible. Um, but if you're wondering, I don't think I need to convince you that the Bible is right underneath our noses. Right? It's the best-selling book of all time. There's like 100,000 languages that it's been printed in with more every day. In fact, the Bible is so close to you that, that it's as accessible as the phone in your own pocket. If you have a phone, you not only have a flashlight and a camera, but you have the very Word of God within arm's reach of you right now. But even before phones, there was a study that LifeWay re, uh, released a few five, five, six years ago that reported 90% of Americans own a Bible and the average household owns three. Now, as I thought about that, I thought that seems kind of high to me. 90% of Americans own a Bible, like a physical copy of the Bible. But as I thought back on my life growing up, my family growing up, we, we were like a church-going family, but we weren't like, sorry, mom, if you're watching this, we weren't like the most Christian-y family growing up, right? And so we had the, the big Bible. You know which one? It's like, looks like it belonged in the Smithsonian or something. Like you needed a dolly to carry this thing around. Like you wouldn't carry it around from room to room or to church and back or even throw it in your backpack. Um, but it was really good. It looked really nice on the coffee table. And every now and then when you needed to press a flower, you could stick the thing underneath it. And the Bible did wonders for that. We didn't actually read it. Shortly after I was born, one of my grandparents gave me uh, my first Bible, which actually I still have. It's this Bible right here with this really beautiful picture of Jesus and a little lamb, right? And I'm not making fun of it, but I couldn't read this. I was a baby, but it had some nice pictures in it that I could look at from time to time. And then when I was in first grade, the church that we went to um, gave all of their elementary school kids a Bible when I think you got to first or second grade when you were learning how to read. And we all had our names kind of uh, printed in gold on the front of it. And so I had that Bible. And then when I was, became a teenager for Christmas one year, I got one of these cool teenage life Bibles that had all of these insights and applications for teenagers and to help it kind of be relevant to teenagers. And, and so I'd say all this to say, that, you know, a little trip down memory lane of, of all of my Bibles. We're going to stop there, don't worry. Um, but I'm a teenager and already I own four Bibles. 
me, myself, single-handedly fulfilling the statistic that LifeWay Research has had released. So I don't need to convince you that we have the Bible, that you have the Bible. But that's a, there's a different question, and it's the question of what do you do with it? So let me start this morning just with a, uh, a claim, something that I've learned in my life and in my years of ministry, and it's this right here, that your relationship with the Bible is a reflection of your relationship with God. Just think about that for a second, that your relationship with the Bible, just consider the possibility, it might even be, I would say is, a reflection of your relationship with God. That if your relationship with God feels alive and thriving, my hunch is that it's because that your relationship with his word, with the Bible, feels at least a little bit of the same way. If your relationship with God feels stagnant or stuck, my hunch is that your relationship with the Bible probably feels a little bit of the same way. And so as I was thinking about, well, Brad, what's your relationship with the Bible look like? If I were to share honestly with you, and we try to be a church that's honest with ourselves and with one another, so let me just go first. If I were to describe my relationship with the Bible, there's a word that I would pick for that relationship, and it's this one right here. Complicated. Complicated. This is a word that if you're in relationship with someone, like an actual person, and someone says, what's that relationship, and you say complicated, uh, you're saying, I'm not really sure what this relationship is. Maybe, you know, kind of there's some highs, but there's some also lows. I'm not really, we kind of spend some time together, but then we'll just not for a while. It's a complicated relationship. And that might be surprising for you to hear that, that one of our pastors, that someone who has degrees in theology and the Bible, who teaches from this book every week and believes this book to be, I do, the very word of God, would describe my relationship with this book as complicated. But maybe yours is the same way. In fact, I, maybe right now or at some point in your life, maybe your relationship with the Bible, maybe you could envision yourself right now saying, you know what, when I think of my relationship with the Bible, I would say, here's the first thing, I read it, but not much. I read it, but, but maybe it's just a little bit here, a little bit there. I have, you know, good seasons and then, you know, rough seasons, long seasons where I don't read it or it's a verse, you know, just a verse or I tend to stick to parts of the Bible that I understand more than the others and I don't touch the other parts. So I read it, but not much. Maybe that's you. Or maybe what describes you, you could say, I know I should read the Bible, but I don't. I believe that it can be powerful in my life, but because of busyness or other things in my life, I just, I just don't. I don't get around to it. I see it over there all the time, but I don't open it up. Or maybe for you, you say, you know what? I tried reading the Bible, but it's hard. I think this is a lot of us because sometimes we fail to acknowledge that as, as accessible as the Bible is, it's long. There's confu it's confusing that it's over, it's over 600 chapters of writing that are, that are spread out across 66 different books, that there's more than six different literary genres, with, genres within the Bible. And so when you open it up, like, sometimes you may wonder, like, well, where do I start? How do, how do I know which way's up? And so you just think it's, it's hard. Or maybe for you, you feel like, well, you know, the Bible, it just feels old and irrelevant. What possibly could an ancient book written by ancient authors in ancient places have to say to me today in these modern times in our tech-savvy world quickly progressing? Why would I even pay attention to what people so long ago thought about God and life? Maybe, a couple more here, maybe you think, you know what, I, I used to read it, but, but I read something that I didn't like. Read something that kind of made me uncomfortable. Read something that even offended me. 
And so I'm kind of still trying to do this relationship with God, but, but some of the things that I read in the Bible are just too much for me to wrap my, my mind around. And then lastly, none of these capture you. Maybe this one does, that I just don't want to. You know what? Maybe I believe in God, maybe I don't. But I don't believe this book is an important enough or helpful enough or worthy enough for me to read. And if any of these describe you, kudos to you for being honest with yourself. Because we will never experience growth in our life when we don't, first of all, be honest with ourselves about the areas that we want and need to see growth in. So kudos to you for acknowledging whatever your relationship with the Bible looks like. So what I want to do today is I want to help us uncomplicate our relationship with the Bible. I want to help me uncomplicate my own relationship with the Bible. Not just uncomplicated. I want to help you and I strengthen our relationship with the Bible. And here's why. It's because of what the Bible is and what it can do. This is how Jeremiah, one of the prophets and later in the Old Testament, this is how he describes the words of God. He says, your words, God, are what sustain me. They are food to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and they delight me. What's sustaining you these days? What's delighting you? What's bringing joy to you in the times of sorrow? This is God's desire for us that he wants to actually speak to us through the words that he has given us in order to sustain us. And I think so often the the complicated nature of our relationship with God is simply because we come to the Bible with just these, just kind of misguided understandings or expectations of of what it is and what it can do in our life. So I wanna give us um, some new perspective for many of us. Maybe for you, this is just, I really need these reminders this morning as I think about the year ahead and what I want my relationship with the Bible to look like. So I wanna talk through a few things, a few ways that I believe this book, this book that is right underneath our noses can add value to your life and my life when we use it. Here's the first, here's the first thing that we need to know about the Bible to change our relationship with the Bible is that we need to know the Bible locates us in God's story. Okay, the Bible locates us in God's story. I think for many of us, the reason why we have such a, an odd relationship with the Bible is because of we, we got some bad information early on in life. Somebody was trying to teach us what the Bible is and, and we latched onto that understanding, but it just wasn't right. It wasn't true. I mean, our typical understanding when we approach the Bible is that we see it as a rule book, right? Things to do, things to not do. And so for me, in my life, when I look back, I had people who were trying to teach me, no, it's not a rule book. That's not what the Bible is. So no rule book. But what it is, it's an instruction manual. You know, this is going to help you live your best life. This is going to give you guidance. And we had this great acronym, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Anyone else? No? Again, just me. Wow. You guys are really making me feel self-conscious up here. Um, I remember being in high school, and one of the basic instructions that I need was with some of my friendships and how to find a girlfriend, and, and there's nothing in the Bible for, for a lot of that. I remember trying to pick a college and pick a major, or where should, should I move here, should I move there, should I, should I take this job or should I take that job, and, and that didn't show up there either. So maybe there's some parts that kind of touch on this, but there are a lot of situations, my point is there's a lot of situations in our life that don't show up in the index of the Bible. So if it's meant to be an instruction manual, it's not a very good one, right? So then I learned from someone, no, it's not an instruction manual, it's a love letter. And I appreciate the intent behind this metaphor. 
that the Bible, in a way, communicates God's heart for us. But if this is a love letter, there's some really weird stuff going on in this love letter. Right? And I don't know that I wanted to read through this whole thing to try to get to, you know, understand through all of this what God's love for me was if all of this stuff was happening in the love letter. So, so sometimes we approach the Bible with these misguided understandings. Here's what the Bible is. Just, I just want to reset our understanding of the Bible. And it's kind of a complex statement, so just hang on to it with me. The Bible is the true story of all that God has done and I would say is doing through Jesus to restore his broken and sinful creation to himself. The Bible is the true story that we believe this book is actually true. Because of that, it has credibility and weight in our lives. Of all that God has done and is doing with Jesus, that everything in the Bible has Jesus as its anchor. And because through Jesus, God is able to restore this broken and sinful creation. Sin is essentially at its core something that is different than what God intended it to be. So this broken and sinful creation back to himself the way that he intended All right, now let's break this down. I'm gonna show you how the Bible does this. We're gonna kind of go through the Bible in a couple minutes. So this line right here, this line represents all of God's activity throughout all of history. From all the way, the very beginning of time to all the way at the end, this is God's activity through all of scripture. And in the very beginning, in the opening pages of Genesis, the very beginning of your Bibles, of course, we have creation. And what made creation stand out is that everything was just as God had intended it to be. That it's this time of innocence, essentially. Everything was just as God wanted it to be until it wasn't. That because God loves us, he gave us a choice. That he gave Adam and Eve a choice of what they wanted to do with their lives in this world. And Adam and Eve said, you know what, God? We're going to do our own thing. So they turned their backs on God. They turned from his ways. And in that moment, everything broke. Our relationship with God broke. Our relationship with one another broke. Our relationship with ourselves broke. Our relationship with this world broke. And so we live in this broken creation. What we call this time is the fall. That we fell from this world and from our relationship with God that, we're, that had been just as the way God had created it. But notice, God's activity does not stop in this point. We're only on like the third page of the Bible, right? And so God chooses for himself a family who become a people. And and he chooses this people to live in relationship with this people so that they can proclaim and demonstrate to the whole world who he is. And that's the people of Israel. And that's this period of anticipation when God lives the rest of the Old Testament, this, this time when God lives in relationship with his people. We see time and time again God's faithfulness, people's unfaithfulness, just back and forth, back and forth, because there's this anticipation that one day God would send a Messiah and a Savior who would make right, who would fix what was broken and restore it back to everything being the way that God had wanted it to be. That we're looking forward to this Messiah, the Savior, who was here at the very beginning, the very Son of God, part of the Trinity, who would come, and that person we know of is Jesus. That the day would come when Jesus comes here, lives here on this earth, and then what he makes possible for us and our whole world is redemption. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these gospels, these four different accounts of Jesus' life, death, ministry, his resurrection, that he lived the perfect life, that he had an undeserved death, and that he resurrected from the grave. And because of that, that any of us who believe in him and seek his forgiveness have redemption in that relationship with God. 
And and then the rest of the New Testament is this collection of writings, most of them being letters, that that point to the restoration that Jesus is going to make possible when he comes back again. And then once again, the world is made new, and we, our world, are restored back into that beautiful way that God originally intended things to be. So here's the Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. That's the story of the Bible in just kind of a snapshot. Now, this isn't just a story. When I look at this, I also see a map. I see a map of kind of how, how God's been at work and where he's been act- active and in what ways. Now, if you've ever been in a really big shopping mall or you've been trying to hike a trail in the wilderness and you find yourself in front of a map, you know that maps are great, but they're ultimately useless if you don't know where you are on the map. You're always looking for what, right? Yeah. yeah. And so fortunately, the Bible does this for us. The Bible tells us you are here. You are here living in the wake of all of this, that there is something in you that realizes you and this world is broken from the way that it was meant to be. You live on this side of the redemption that Jesus has made possible, but you are still waiting for the day. We are still waiting for the day when Jesus comes back and makes it whole. We're part of this movement of followers, Heartland, who are trying to figure out how to be the people of God to share the message of God in a world that is so deeply in need of that message, that that's where we are. So if you ever find yourself reading the Bible and finding yourself confused or not sure which way's up, just ask yourself, how does what I'm reading fit into this bigger story, this map of what God has been doing in this world? Uh, Over Christmas, one of my kids, my son, uh, who just turned 15, he walks into the kitchen and he says, hey dad, I've been reading the Bible. Which as both a dad and as a pastor, like I'm trying to keep my cool right now, like, right? <laughs> trying not to freak him out, scare him, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. What are, you, what are you reading? And he says, I'm reading the Old Testament. And I'm like, hmm, okay. I go, what part? He goes, Chronicles, which is one of these history books. It's the, some of the history genre in the Old Testament. And he goes, I'm reading Chronicles, and it's a little weird, Dad. And I'm not quite sure I like what God is up to right now. And I'm thinking, how do I, how do I navigate this one? And I just say, I say, well, yeah, I, I totally get that, man. So what are you going to do? He says, I, I guess I'm just going to keep reading. And it was a proud moment, and it was a good challenge and reminder for me, because that's what we do when we find something that's confusing. We keep reading. We go deeper. We learn the context. We peek into this ancient world. We, we pull open the lens on this big story of what God is writing, and we figure out how does this thing that I'm not quite sure what to make sense of fit into this big thing? Because as we continue to read and understand this story, we make sense of the big story of the Bible. And we can do this. We can do this, especially through those hard or tough moments of Scripture because of the second thing that the Bible does for us. See, the Bible doesn't only tell us the big story of God. It also points to God's hero. The Bible points to God's hero. See, the Bible is not simply a a collection of stories. It's a collection of stories that together point us to Jesus, the hero. Here's why this matters. If we disconnected these stories from each other, then our tendency is to look for the principle that each passage of the story points to. Right? Let me give you an example. It's like, it's like take the story of David and Goliath. If you spent one day in any church or Sunday school, you've heard the, the story of David and Goliath. 
And when we disconnect this story from all of the other stories within the Bible, then the, the, par- the, the principle of this story is that we should be like David, who had the courage to trust in God and stand up to adversity. And look how it turned out for him, right? Or take Jesus' parable on the New Testament of the Good Samaritan. Be like the Good Samaritan. We love to preach this. Be like the Good Samaritan and love all of those that we come across. Now, hear me. I'm not dogging either of these principles. These are both things that we should do and practice. And the Bible is full of principles that, and guidance and things that, examples of how to live and how not to and how this turns out for us. But there's also many parts of the Bible that don't seem to have any evident principle behind them. And so we can read these and be like, what's the point of that? Where's the principle there? See, the point of the stories of the Bible are not to point to things, are not to point to principles, I mean. It's not to give us advice on how to live or a how-to manual for how to navigate situations as much as their point is to point to the hero of the story. That everything in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus is pointing forward to Jesus, who would make sense of all of this story. Everything beyond Jesus is pointing back to who Jesus is and what he has done that we actually live in the midst of. That Jesus is actually the new and better David who stands up to the giant of sin and evil that we are powerless over. That Jesus is actually the true Samaritan who finds us on the side of the road beaten up by our sin and he rescues us. That even the book of Esther, this beautiful story in the Old Testament, a book that doesn't even mention God in any way. It's in the Bible. It's a story that doesn't even mention God. This story of a slave princess in Babylon is a story of God preserving the Jewish people to make a way for the real hero who would come down the line, the hero of Jesus. The Bible's not trying to point us to something. It's trying to point us to someone. When Jesus was on earth, people were trying to make sense of him. So he, he, they keep going back to the scriptures, trying to figure this out. And he says to them in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. He's saying the whole point of this word is to, is to point you to me, that I have come to do what you needed me to do, that this, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Uh, later on, Jesus, after he's resurrected, and there's a couple people walking down the road, and they're trying to make sense of what just happened, and Jesus, Jesus appears to them at the end of Luke's gospel, and he says to them, Luke describes this scene, he says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Now, all of the scriptures at this point is the Old Testament. That, that Moses, these are all of the commandments in the first five books of the Old Testament that the Israelite people couldn't keep, but Jesus fulfilled. And the prophets, these are these, these, these mouthpieces of God who proclaim God's heart for his people, for this world. It's the heart that Jesus himself revealed when he was here on earth. But he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That, that the Bible points us God's here. Here's what, here's what this means. It means that the Bible isn't meant to be a self-help book because the goal of self-help is really just to give us advice so that we can become our own life's heroes, isn't it? And I'm not dogging the self-help industry. We all need to learn how to use our computers and do things that make our lives a little bit better. But when we read the Bible in the same way, we're trying to make ourselves our own heroes. When the Bible really reveals the hero who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, 
that he becomes the hero that we couldn't be for ourselves. Donald Miller, in one book, he writes that in this grand epic, Jesus is the hero of our stories. All of our stories, as they were, are subplots in a grand epic, and our job is not to be the hero of any story. Our job is to be a saint, a separated, called out, holy one, what that means. Our job is to be a saint in a story that he is telling, ultimately, about himself. See, the Bible tells the story of God. It also points us to the hero that God sends in Jesus. And here's the third thing. The Bible opens us up to God's power. It opens us up to God's power. Dan's done a really awesome job in this series of talking about how the habits that we're looking at are, are, are really open, they really open us up to the power of God in our life. That habits without power are really useless. That rituals without power, without heart, they mean nothing. They amount to absolutely nothing. But because the resurrection really happened, uh, we access the power of God through these things. If, if the resurrection hadn't happened, then this would, be, this would be useless. Worship service like these would just be a bunch of people who are kind of foolishly singing about some things that didn't actually happen. That praying would really amount to nothing. If the resurrection didn't happen, the praying really just amounts to us throwing words up at the ceiling for our own good. But because the resurrection happened, these, these habits give us access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this because it's been such an important theme that we've already done some good work on in this series. But I do want to help you see how when we read the Bible, we're opening us up to the power of God, that same resurrection power. And so if you ever read the Bible and had a light bulb go off in your mind, have you ever read the Bible and seen something that you've never seen before? Have you ever read the Bible and felt a nudge of conviction, a word of comfort, or received guidance? Have you ever read the Bible and had a better understanding of God's heart for you? And maybe, often, this happens at a strangely needed or coincidental time. It's like you needed the words that you were reading right when you read them. It's not what always happens, but these things happen. These things happen when we read the words of God. That's because this power of God that we open ourselves up to when we read the Bible, we know that as the Holy Spirit, who was there in the beginning with God the Father and God the Son, that the Holy Spirit, whose power raised Jesus from the dead, as Romans 8:11 tells us, is the same power that moved these ancient authors to write these texts. It's the same power that, that preserved these passages and compiled this ancient book for us and that speaks to us through these words. What this means is that if, when you read the Bible, you're not just doing some natural, normal activity, like reading something else, sometimes though it may feel like it. You're actually, in the words of pastor and author Erwin McManus, we're accessing a portal, that the Bible is a portal to God's presence. There it is. There it is. The Bible is a portal to God's presence. This is what happens when we read the words of God. We access his power, his resurrection power. And you know how we turn that power up? It's when we access this portal together with one another. This is the last thing. Is that the Bible connects us to God's people. If there's one thing 
that has strengthened and changed and uncomplicated my relationship with the Bible more than anything else, it's reading it with other people. And sometimes we underestimate the importance and the power of other people because let's face it, other people are weird. They're hard. They disagree with us. But God uses these things. Uh, I know it's been a tough week for KU basketball fans. I'm sorry about this illustration I'm about to give you. Um, just forget this week happened. Let's go back. Last weekend, I had the chance to take that son of mine that I was telling you about to the KU-Iowa State game over in Lawrence. And uh, he's a huge Iowa State fan. Don't hold that against him. It's in his family's blood. He's just staying loyal to some grandparents. So, uh, but he really loves that team. So he wanted to see them play KU for his birthday. We were able to make this happen. And uh, we, took him, we took him over to the game. I uh, love all basketball teams in Kansas. I think that's possible. Uh, you know, it's an exciting year to be a Kansas basketball fan. So uh, don't hate me for the fact that I won't go one side or the other. But at the time, I was cheering for KU, okay? Um, do you remember back when, uh, do you remember back during COVID when um, basketball and these games started happening again and there was like a few people in the stands and how weird that looked? Yeah. You know why you go to a KU basketball game in Lawrence? I mean, yeah, what's happening on the court is great. It's phenomenal. You're there to see it. But you really go there for this. You go there to be a part of this. You go there to be in the, same, the cathedral of basketball courts and arenas and all of these things. There's a, there's a reverence for this, that there are articles saying that this single-handedly has to pulled team, the KU Jayhawks, out of slumps and winning games, that there's a power happening here in this. You go there to be a part of this together, to boo the refs together, to cheer the team on together, to high-five strangers that you don't know, and to be a part of this. And so when we were watching games happen with just like a handful of people out in the stands, I'm sure that they had a really great personal, intimate, individual experience of that basketball game. But they didn't have this. Both of these can be valuable things. And I, I say this just, just so that we would know. We have this strange privilege as people living in our century of getting to read the Bible on our own. And for a lot of us, that was what we were taught, is, is to have this personal time. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. This is, this is a wonderful privilege that we have, but it's one that didn't come about until a few hundred years ago, about 1,500 years after the church was even a thing, after Jesus had lived, that the idea of reading the Bible alone would have been completely foreign to the Israelites, God's own people. That the, Bible, the idea of reading the Bible alone to the early church, they would have scratched their heads at and so 1,500 years later, when there's such a thing as the printing press and Protestantism, blah, blah, all of that, like, that, that we had all of a sudden this privilege of being able to read the Bible on our own, which, hear me, is a powerful and important thing that we should continue to do, but not when we don't read it alongside one another. That there is so much power when we read God's words to us with one another because, as, as Paul tells us in the New Testament, that you yourselves have the power of that Holy Spirit inside you. So when we come together, we are bringing that power to one another and we are benefiting from the differences and the perspectives and the questions and the curiosities and the observations of one another that can help these words become clearer and more meaningful in our life. That we benefit 
from reading the Bible alongside one another. That we can often forget that the Bible is written by God through the people of God. Not one person, a people. Through the people of God, for the people of God, to know how to be the people of God. So as we read it, yes, let's spend that time personally soaking in the scriptures, especially in a spirit of prayer. But let's also do it with one another. It's why this is so powerful. It's why I was so grateful that our worship team was reading passages of God's word over us this morning, that we together as a community, as a family, were able to receive the word of God together. And we should continue doing that. It's why we have these communities that we're talking about, because we have so many different kinds where people can come together, not simply in rows, but in circles with one another, with God's word right there at the center, because right in the center of God's word is Jesus. And that's what we need in our life. So I want to give you an invitation today. How do we do this? How do we get super practical with this? This invitation is to read the Bible. This is not hard. We simply read the Bible, but this might make it a little more hard. I want to invite us this year, Heartland, to read it with others. To read it with one another. To take this book that's right underneath our noses and to read it because of the way that it will strengthen your relationship with God, which I believe it will. I'll give you three practical ways right right here through Heartland uh, that you can do this. You don't even have to be part of Heartland to do this. The the first one is this. It's something a tool that people in our church uh, do called the journey that you can continue the Sunday experience throughout the week uh, through our online study guide that we have scripture passages and devotionals and questions that have been prepared by other people. Now, you're saying, hey, that sounds like I do this on my own. You, you can, you certainly can and benefit from it. We have a lot of people who just look at friends and say, hey, do you wanna do this together? We can do this on our own, we can text about it, we can meet up for coffee, we can have a weekly kind of standing rhythm of, of talking about this together. And so maybe this year, this is a tool that you wanna incorporate in your life to give you some rails to strengthen your relationship with God's word. Also, coming up in February, we have two other opportunities where you can, where you can gather in circles with other people with God's word at the center. One of them, for, for you women out there, we've got a Bible study coming up. Uh, yes, called Jesus and Women, a women's study starting Wednesday, February 8th. Now, this is not simply an information download. This is a time of building relationships with one another of coming to God's word, to the gospels together and looking at these passages and kicking around. What, if, what does this mean? What do we do with this? And how do we help one another out along the way? We just get to pull up a chair and be able to do that together. Also starting up on Wednesdays is something that I've been so excited about this year. So many of you have already been a part of and it's something called midweek. The idea of midweek is very simple, that we take the sermons and the passages that we look at on Sunday mornings and we create a space, a physical space for us to come together and to read and study and learn from these passages together to listen to and learn from one another together. And, and it's, it's, here's a picture of kind of what midweek is like. If you're looking for it, we just create a space. We make tables possible. You sit around. Uh, usually myself or one of our other pastors will recap the sermon and we'll just have questions. There's not a lot of teaching. It's more providing space for discussion because that's the one thing that is so often missing in our spiritual growth. It's just time to talk about these things with one another. And we want to remove every possible hindrance that we can as a church from your relationship with the Bible. So, so we make uh, care possible for your kids if you have them. Our high school ministry is running at the same exact time. And I want to encourage you, just try it. Try one of these things. Stick with it for a little bit. And see how it begins to change your relationship with God. And, and here's why. 
Well, first of all, if you want to learn about those, make sure uh, we have these new QR codes on the back of our chairs. By the way, if your sticker's falling off, will you just smash it back up there? Um, we underestimated the adhesive here. Um, and while you're doing that, take a picture, or not the picture, hit the QR code thing, and that'll show you some of these things that are happening here that you can go ahead and you can be a part of. And I encourage you, just, just look at it, just try it out, and come be a part of this, because I believe when we read the Bible, when we read the Bible together, it strengthens our relationship with God. And that's my hope for us, Heartland, this year. It's my hope for you. Because I really believe that the Bible is the thing that's right underneath our nose, that if we would just see it and use it, it would change our life because we would meet God in those pages. Because God is a God who wants to speak to us. It's like that verse in Jeremiah told us that his words sustain us, that his words are food to our hungry souls, that his words bring joy to our sorrowing heart and they delight us. So as Lindsay plays this song over us, it's a time just to reflect and pray and consider, God, maybe you actually do want to speak to me through this book. Maybe I've been content to let my relationship with it be complicated for a little too long. But I'm going to take this step because I believe that you're going to meet me when I do. God, it is okay. It's okay because there are words that you want to speak to us. And so I pray as we leave this place and this time now, God, whatever stirring that you have had in our hearts, that we would listen to those words, we would listen to those stirrings, that we would want to seek you and find you in your word. That we would receive an understanding of who you are, of how you love us, of what you want for us. And that we could help one another along in this journey, God, because none of us knows everything. None of us have your perspective, but we need one another. And so we thank you that, that we have your word to unite us, Lord. We have your word, even in times when we question it or disagree with what it says or disagree with one another about what it says, God, it continues to invite us and call us to you. And so Jesus, the word, the word who was with God in the beginning and is God, who came into this world, lived the perfect life, suffered an undeserved death, and was raised to life in a miraculous resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. We invite that power into our lives now as we go forth. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.